Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Crossroads Church. It's good to have you here today. Uh, man, I am so excited for the day that God has uh, ahead of us as we uh, continue to celebrate this Advent season. I want to welcome uh, Fort Lupton and, of course, online uh, to Crossroads as well as everybody here at Thornton. And uh, I want to say uh, thanks for coming and being a part of this. Our ability to come together and to worship and to lift up the name of Jesus is one of the greatest things that we get to do together. And uh, the reason it's so important for us is because we believe that you belong here. We believe as a church that, that God cares for you, that he knows you, that he loves you, and that he has a plan for your life. And so for us to be able to come together and to celebrate uh, that together in fun and creative ways and to lift our voices and to learn from his word um, is just such an exciting, exciting thing uh, that we get to do as believers. If you are new with us today, I want to say welcome to you. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And, uh, and I'm grateful that you uh, have decided to spend the next hour uh, hanging out with us anytime over the early of the next hour. If you have like questions or you just want us to know that you're here, um, you can just shoot us a text. We have a text line. You're going to see it a couple of times uh, today. The number is 720-513-1933. And at any point today or even over the next couple of days, if, if you want to text the word, the keyword new, uh, we'll be able to answer that. And, uh, and in that, we'll be able to answer whatever questions or, or comments that you have concerning Crossroads and, and help you to the best of our ability get connected here uh, at this church. And so with that said, uh, Christmas is just right around the corner. The Advent season is upon us. And when it comes to Christmas, there is no bigger fan of Christmas than my mom. All right. Like, like my mom, she just loves this season. I mean, like love, love, loves this season. Like there is nothing greater for her than to uh, watch her kids and her grandkids open the gifts that she got them for Christmas. Like just naturally she is a gift giver. And my kids typically call my mom Gigi through the year. But in the month of December, her name changes to Gigi Claus because there is no question of who gives the biggest and the best gifts at Christmas. Like my mom's heart is just filled when all 17 of us are on the family farm in Kentucky, sitting around the Christmas tree, doing Christmas together, eating Christmas dinner together, laughing and joy and, and all of that that goes together. Now, unfortunately for her, she raised a son who became a pastor. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Christmas is kind of a big deal in the church. And um, even though she's very aware of this, um, it doesn't keep her from, you know, trying to get us to come home because, you know, it's a little bit difficult to get home during Christmas with all the stuff that happens uh, in church world. And so about six years ago or so in October, uh, she called uh, me and I answered the phone. I was like, hey, mom, what's going on? And she's like, Christmas is coming. I was just wondering when you're going to be home for Christmas. And I said, well, Mom, you know how difficult it is, you know, busy time, and, and I got to lead Christmas Eve services, and here's, by honest to God, here was the next words out of her mouth. Oh, your church still does those? <laughs> yeah, Mom, does it yours? Like, you know, you haven't missed Christmas Eve in 50 years. Yeah, of course we're still doing Christmas Eve services. Well, you know... I'm sure that my mom is not unique in wanting her kids home uh, for this Christmas, right? Like the whole holiday is really built on anticipation of families coming together. You know, we roll out the lights on our, on our houses. We set up our trees. We put presents under the tree. Christmas music is everywhere. And all of it is an anticipation uh, for Christmas, that Christmas is coming. And the question is, is are you ready? 
That as a church, we've decided to spend this Advent season really preparing our hearts and really preparing uh, ourselves to get ready for the Christmas that is coming. And we decided to do this in such a way that we're actually like stepping back into history and going back all the way to the first Christmas and, and the anticipation that came with that first Christmas that made it so special to remember for ourselves why we celebrate Christmas and why is it that we love this day and this season so much. And so last week we opened the Christmas story in Luke chapter one. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there, whether it's paper or app, you can go ahead and turn us where we'll be today. But last week we opened up the Christmas story in Luke chapter one and we saw the excitement and the anticipation and the hope renewed for an entire nation as a baby boy was announced that the birth of a baby was, was coming. Now, what we found out in our story is that this announcement was not for Jesus, but actually another little baby boy that was named John. We'll come to know him as John the Baptist. And with his announcement of, of a birth, it was a birth that had been waited on for 400 years by the people of Israel, that they had patiently and longingly waited with anticipation that this child would be born. Because when this child was born, what it meant is that God was fulfilling his promise of sending a messenger who would be like, like the great prophet Elijah to come and herald and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. This boy named John being born into the world meant that Christmas was on. So while the anticipation was building in Jerusalem with, with John's family, the old priest and, and his wife, as that anticipation was building for them, another story was unfolding in northern Israel filled with anticipation. Nestled at the base of Mount Tabor is a small village that we know by the name of Nazareth. Nazareth was nothing more than a roadside rest stop on the well-traveled path between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And in Nazareth, there was a young woman. Her name was Mary. She lived there with her family. And recently, she was betrothed, or that's just an old-fashioned way of saying engaged, uh, to a man named Joseph. Now, as we open up the scriptures, we find out that Joseph is a righteous man. And Mary could envision the future that she had with Joseph that their future was bright and she could see having children with Joseph and seeing them running around their house and she could envision the day that Joseph would sit down in his lazy boy chair, picking up their children, putting them on his knees and sharing of God's love and the deliverance of God through the years. That he would share with their kids how God had delivered the people of Israel with a shepherd's sling. Or he would share the stories of how God with his very hands parted the Red Sea for the people of Israel to run through as they ran from Egypt. Like, like he would share with them from history's path, people of the faith, great men and women of the faith, like Abraham and Moses, David, Solomon, Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, these people who had lived faithful, faithful lives to God. And as Joseph shared with their children, Mary would sit there marveling at the love and deliverance of God. Like she could see the future of her life with Joseph, and it was bright, and it was beautiful, and it was good. And then one day, presumably on just a regular day where Mary's doing her chores, getting ready for the wedding that's coming, the remarkable happens. The remarkable absolutely happens. An angel appears. And it happens to be the same angel that appeared to Zechariah last week, that when he showed up to the old priest, almost sent him to an early grave. Like that angel shows up to Mary with a message. 
This angel's name is Gabriel, and in the Hebrew, Gabriel means hero of God. And who knows how many battles Gabriel had to face, how many enemy lines Gabriel had to cross in order to get this message that would ultimately change the foundation of the world to Mary. I mean, we can only imagine the anticipation that Gabriel came into this moment with holding a message that the world, literally the world, had waited on for centuries. This angel shows up to Mary. Gabriel looks at her. We pick up the story in verse 28. He came to her and he said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. It just so happens 600 years prior to this, the same angel, Gabriel, visits a man by the name of Daniel. If you're unfamiliar with Daniel, he's a guy that shows up in our Old Testament. There's a whole book called Daniel that's written about him. And Daniel was this brilliant young man. And he lived his life dedicated to God. And because of a war that was happening between Israel and Babylon, eventually Babylon comes in, destroys Israel, takes some of the youngest and the brightest to Babylon to enculturate them into the ways of that society. Well, Daniel was one of those guys. And so Daniel, being a faithful man that he was, even in Babylon, tried to live his life as best he could for God. And daily, Daniel would get on his knees and he would pray that God would remember his promises to the people of Israel, that he would deliver the people from the Babylonians. And in one moment, as Daniel is praying this prayer, God sends the angel Gabriel and he shows up to tell Daniel, among other things, that he is favored, that he is beloved by God. See, this understanding of, of you are favored by God means that, that God has shown his kindness to us, that, that, we, that God has shown his graciousness upon this, this person. They did not earn it. They did not do anything to, to make it come into their lives, that this graciousness is from God, and that he's setting them up to do something in this world that he has set before the foundations of this world to accomplish. Mary, God's favor is upon you. And she looks at Gabriel and she responds. It says that she was greatly troubled by these, this saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, as Mary is taking all of this in, and as she hears the word Jesus in her mind, it must have been exploding because Jesus means Savior. It means deliverer. And almost immediately, Mary must have been thinking about, like, what's going on here? Like, like what's he saying? And what's so fascinating to me is that before Gabriel tells Mary how powerful and, and, and how great her son will be, he actually tells her, what he will use that greatness and that power for, the how he'll use it in the worlds. He says, look, Mary, before I even tell you what your son's gonna be about, I want you to know that your son, your son is gonna be the Messiah. Your son, he's gonna be the savior. He's gonna be the deliverer, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. That's who your son is. Mary, you don't have to be afraid. Your child, he will be your Savior. He will be your Jesus. God's favor is upon you. And he's giving you the privilege of becoming the mother to the Messiah of the worlds. Verse 32, he will be great. And he will be called son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Mary, your son, his name is going to be great. Like people for centuries will know of the name of Jesus. And not only will he be great, but, but people will call him the son of the most high, which is important for us to know because in the Old Testament, most high was referred to God. Like God is the most God. That's what it meant, that he was, he was the most high. So to be the son of the most high meant that this was actually literally the son of God. And not only is he the greatest and the son of God, but he's the promise. He's the promise to David that through him, that there would be a king and that, and that he would rule not just Israel, but the entire world. And, and Mary, I know it's hard for you to understand right now, but your son, his kingdom, it will know no end. Like it will go on forever and ever and ever. And this whole scene as it, as it unfolds for us, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, must have been stunning for Mary to hear as she's looking at this being, this angelic being, speaking this message that the entire world had been waiting for. Undoubtedly, Mary would have expected a young Jewish girl, woman, to be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, it was every, it was every girl's dream growing up in Israel, to one day to grow up and, and to just happen to be the Messiah. I mean, it was things that they prayed for. It was things that they longed for. Like, like God, let it be me. Undoubtedly, she would have expected for a Jewish woman to be the mother of the Messiah, but it was quite unlikely that she ever thought it would be her. And so staring at this angelic being, hearing this message that the world has been waiting for, taking all of this in, what, what would you say? Like, what would be your response in this moment? For Mary, she looks at the angel Gabriel, and, and she says to the angel, verse 34, how will this be, since I'm just a virgin? I mean, she wasn't questioning the message in here. Like, the message not in question, the logistics are. And the Holy Spirit looks or Gabriel looks at her and says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and your conception, it's going to be divine. And Mary's response after hearing this is extraordinary. She, she looks at the angel, and she says to him in verse 35, behold, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Like, there's no hesitation here, is there? There's not like, like, Gabe, man, this has all been really shocking and stunning, and this has been a good conversation. I just need some time to think about it, right? Like, like, give me a few moments to pray. Like, no, it was just simply Mary looking at Gabriel and saying, send it up to the big guy. I'm in. I'm in. And then the angel departs. Now, before Gabriel departs, we're told a little bit earlier that to, uh, in order to help like, confirm this to Mary a little bit more. He gives her this added confirmation that nothing is impossible with God and that she needs to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, her distant relative Elizabeth, who is old and barren because now Elizabeth's pregnant. And so Mary, she goes and does that, verse 39. And so in those days, Mary arose and she, and she went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's, that's John, that's baby John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among the women. 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, that the mother, like Elizabeth sees it, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's like this moment with Elizabeth was all the confirmation that, that Mary needed. To hear these words from Elizabeth, that she was blessed, would have, been, would have been so fulfilling, so satisfying to Mary's soul because it was one thing for Elizabeth to be pregnant. Even in her old age as an elderly woman, probably in her 60s, to be, to be pregnant was a miracle in and of itself. It was. It was a total miracle that Elizabeth was pregnant. But it was one thing for Elizabeth to be pregnant because she was married. It was a completely another for Mary, who was, who was young and just recently engaged. See, Mary, by submitting to God's will, that she would be willingly subjecting herself to great risk. I mean, you can imagine the rumors, can't you? The talk at the local Starbucks there in Nazareth, like bless her heart. It's so easy for young pretty girls to get in trouble in this town. I mean, with all the foreigners and Roman soldiers passing through. Eventually, Mary's story would become public. The rumors would turn to ridicule. The looks, the smirks, the comments, the sarcasm. She says an angel came and visited her. Nobody would believe her. Her story would simply be laughed at. And to add on to that, the Jewish law was that any woman caught in fornication before she was married would be sentenced to death. So at best, I mean, come on, at best, Mary would live a life of shame. At worst, she would be killed. And yet, in spite of all of that, it would not keep her from believing the words that Gabriel had said to her. Mary, you are favored by God. You are, you are beloved. In spite of all that, it would, it would not, that she would, she would not, it would not keep her from believing the words from her distant cousin, Elizabeth. Mary, you are blessed. Of all women, you are blessed. And what's so remarkable is that as she's sipping tea with Elizabeth, as the babies are doing the twist and their mommy's tummies, right, Mary sees so clearly the most remarkable thing about God. I mean, in this moment, in this moment, God is about to change human history as we know it. I mean, come on. The next three decades will be the most important decades in all time. And here's my question. Where's God? Where's God in the story in this moment? He's hanging out with two women, which is way more remarkable than in our culture and in our world that we tend to think. I mean, during this time, the Holy Spirit didn't, didn't fall on people like it fell today, right? Like, as us as believers, if you're a believer here, that what we say is that when you trust in Christ, when you submit your life to Christ, what the Bible teaches is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that, that when you say yes to Jesus, you, from that point forward, never know a moment outside of God's presence, that God's Spirit is actually dwelling within you. That's the, that's, that's the world in which we live in as believers. During this time in God's history, that was not the case. During this time, the Holy Spirit only came during special times, during special circumstances, on special uh, people. 
And so here's these two women, and we're told in the story that the Holy Spirit is right there with them, like, like the Holy Spirit is, is hanging out with these two women. In this culture, Jewish culture, women were nothing more than commodities. I mean, they were traded and bothered like cattle. Like, like these women were nobodies. Two ladies that we wouldn't even know their names if it was not for the Christmas story. And yet here, the God of the universe is hanging out with them. Like, like just sitting here with them. These two women, one old and barren, the other one young and a virgin, both pregnant and full of humility. I mean, again, Mary, Mary would have expected that a young Jewish woman would be the mother of the Messiah. But kings, they were born in castles. Kings, come on, they were born to royal families. Kings were born in important cities, not to nobodies at roadside rest stops. And yet as Mary sits tea with Elizabeth, she sees the vision so clearly that God is putting before her that this God is the lover of the lowly. And she's moved to break out into song. We call it the, uh, the Magnificants. She says this in verse 46, that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their very own hearts. And he has brought down the mighty. He has brought down the mighty. Oh, back it up. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble, humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And he has helped, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. If you have not watched last year's Christmas, special Christmas episode of The Chosen, I would encourage you to go do that. It tells the story in a very reimagined and creative way of how Mary came up with this song. It's a beautiful retelling of this, of this story. But there's something in Mary's song here that I want us to lean into today. I want us to pay attention because she reveals something to us about God that will help us prepare for Christmas this season. That in her song, she says that the name of God is holy. That is, his character, his, his nature, his essence is holiness. Now, when us Western uh, hearers, listeners, hear the word holy, immediately we kind of put it into the religious context, which in Mary's time, it wasn't a religious word. It was just a regular common word that meant to be separate. Like, it was rightly defined as distinct or, or separate. Now, when holy was used in the Bible, particularly of, of God... What the Bible meant by that is that God was in a, a class by himself. That God is holy means that he is infinitely valuable because he is one of a kind. That his holiness is utterly unique, infinitely pure, transcendently good. That his holiness is, is supreme and that he is the greatest treasure in the universe and he is the supreme being over the universe. That all other treasures are just, are nothing in comparison. That his holiness is what God is that nothing else is. Not the beauty of the coastlines, 
not the number of sand in the desert, not the majesty of our Rocky Mountains, not the splendor of the universe, that God is what nothing else is. It's where all of his attributes are perfect and they're, and they're dancing in harmony. That's his holiness. That's his holiness. And Mary sees the, the holiness of God in her song. And in it, she points to the way that God's holiness is manifested or, or shown in this world. And here's where we need to pay attention. Because her song encourages us to not make the mistake that is so common by believing because God is great that he favors great men. That because God is exalted, that he pays attention to the things that are exalted by this world among humans. It's actually the opposite. That God's holiness is, is expressed by exalting the lowly, not the esteemed of this world's. Mary's heart knows that she is loved by God, that she's known. He calls her by her name. He has a plan for her. And she sings about it in her song. In verse 50, she says, he has mercy on those who fear him. When you hear that word fear, don't think of like scared. Think of those who are in awe, that God has mercy on those who are in awe of him, his splendor, his majesty, his holiness. She says in verse 51 that he has exalted those of low degree. In verse 53 that he has filled the hungry, the poor, with, with good things. That, that God is, is manifesting, he's showing his holiness to the world by coming alongside the underdog that nobody cares for or knows their names, that God is the champion for the lowly. That's part of his holiness. But the other way that God's holiness is manifested is that he stands in opposition of the proud. Verse 51, that he, is, that he scattered the proud in the imaginations of their own hearts. Verse 52, that he's put down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty. That is clear from Mary's words and really from the rest of Scripture that God is not biased towards the rich. He's not biased toward the proud or the powerful or the influential. The word there's a word here for us as we prepare for Christmas this year. That if we long to see God, I mean, come on, if we desire to see God in our lives this Christmas, then we have to see God as he actually is. And he is not the least impressed. He is not the least impressed by our pride, by our power, by our prestige, by our wealth, by our influence. He's not. He has mercy on those who fear him, who are in awe of his holiness and who humble themselves before him. See, God is showing himself through the most unlikely of characters in the history of the world. This young girl, Mary, with every conversation in that quiet house that she has with Elizabeth, it's confirmed to her over and over again what God had taught through his word for the centuries, that I am sovereign, I am God, I have a plan that I am sovereign and I have a plan and I choose the humble and the lowly, the unlikely, the unknown to do the unthinkable. That I'm faithful to, to fulfill my promises that I have made. Mary, you are loved by me. My favor is upon you. 
that you will conceive a child and his name will be great. He will be the son of the most high. He will be the promised king of David. His throne will know, know, and you are his mother. You are willing and I am able. Christmas is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready like Mary was ready for the savior of this world? I mean, as we think about this, the only other time this word favored is used in all of the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. If you go later and read Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see the word here is not translated favored for us, but blessed. And the Apostle Paul puts it in the context of those of us who have believed that we are blessed by God and that we have, made, that we have been made a part of his family, that we have been adopted into his family, that now we are sons and daughters of the Most High. Like, like we are favored upon God, that his graciousness and kindness has come to us in such a way that he considers us his children. Like, like this is just an amazing thought as we enter into, into Christmas, that God's love is so great for us. Listen, he knows your name. You are known by him. You are loved by him. You keep reading Ephesians into chapter two and you find out that God has a plan for you, that, that he has great works that he set aside before the foundations of the very earth for you to accomplish in this world. Look, Mary's faith, Mary's faith, it was, it was courageous. We know that because of, her, because of her decision. And through the message of his word, God is saying to you this Christmas, that he sees you, that he knows you. And like Mary, he's simply asking you to believe, to trust, to submit your entire life to him. Mary's decision, it was courageous. We, we see that here. Her obedience, it was, it was complete, that she submitted to God regardless of the questions it raised or even the eyebrows. She was completely committed to God. Despite the, the comments, regardless of the comments or the consequences, regardless if it meant that she would have to sacrifice her reputation or even lose the man that she loved or even her own life, that she gave everything, everything to God without a moment of hesitation. And the question this Christmas is, will you? Listen, in some form or fashion, every single one of us Every single one of us will have to come to the point when it comes to our, to our relationship with Jesus where we have to land in the exact same place that Mary landed. That we'll have to get to the point where we can say, like Mary said, God, I'm not sure I understand everything that you have before me. I don't know that I see everything that you have before me, but I know your word is good and I know that your word is true and I know that what you're saying to me is good. That I'm favored and I'm loved by you and that whatever you have for me in the future, I want you to know that my answer is Yes, whether I get it or not. Because the reality is, is whether you've been a believer a long time or you've yet to make the decision of faith, that as soon as you commit your life to Jesus and you begin to walk down this road, the world, your friends, your family, they won't understand. And they'll look at you with the same eyebrow raised that people looked at Mary when she shared her story. Mary was a nobody who became a somebody because she humbled her heart and was willing to give everything to God. This Christmas, you can too.
Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you. And um, Lord, really, maybe just speechless. As we look upon this young woman's faith and her submission, her complete submission to you. God, it's remarkable. Lord, to hear these words that Gabriel spoke over her life, that Mary, you are, you are favored by God, that you are beloved. To hear Elizabeth look at Mary and say that she is blessed and she is the most blessed of all of humanity. And then to hear those same words echoed to us by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter one, that when we believe that we are favored by God, that his kindness and his graciousness, it, it falls upon us. God, thank you for that assurance this Christmas. Father, I pray for those in this room who, who have not yet, Lord, trusted you as their Lord and Savior, who you may be standing before, before them today, whispering to their souls that this is the life that I have for you. You may not understand it, you may not get it, but it's good and it's for you. And he's just sitting there waiting, waiting for you to say yes. Lord, I pray for that. God, I pray for those of us who have walked for decades in the faith. Lord, that we would, that we would have the courageous faith of Mary, that we would live our lives that we would go about the things, the good works that you have set aside for us before even the foundation of this world. And Lord, that you would give us that kind of courage that despite the, the eyebrows raised, the questions, the reputation, what people might say, or that we would humble ourselves and that we'd walk with you knowing that your presence is with us and that we are known and that we are loved. God, thank you for the Christmas story. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're at a moment here today where you'd like to have a conversation about what it looks like to make Jesus the Savior of your life, we would, we would love to have that conversation. Again, the text number is 720-513-1933. You can text the name of Jesus. We'll be on the other end of that line. We come together as a, as a body, as a family, as a church. today as we take the bread and as we break the bread, we realize that this was the baby promised to Mary who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross to die for your sins and mine. That we are known and we are loved because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross as his body was broken. And so today, as a church, we remember. And we drink the cup in assurance, knowing that because of Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing some songs to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. If over the course of the next 20 minutes or so you need prayer online, you can click the button in-house. You can make your way over to the banner. But let's sing the praises of our Lord today. Jesus, 